Hey there, I'm Courtney Chuang, and welcome to Inside Intercom. For a long time, we've thought about marketing in the context of selling. But in today's competitive environment, if your prospects aren't seeing value early on, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of companies ready to take your place. To get to 100 million in revenue and beyond, we need to think about marketing in the context of delivering continuous value. If you deeply understand your customers, their needs, and their challenges, you'll not only capture more customers, you'll also turn them into brand advocates who stick around longer and ultimately spend more. Sydney Sloan, the CMO of SalesLoft, is someone who's helped pioneer this shift in mindset at companies big and small. Sydney got her start in customer marketing at Adobe, where she transformed a declining product line into one of the fastest growing business units. She then led go-to-market strategy for the company's $400 million customer experience management business. She later went on to build and lead customer marketing functions at Drive Software and as a CMO at Alfresco. In this episode, you'll hear Intercom CMO Alexandra Shapiro chat with Sydney about what it takes to cross 100 million in revenue. Definitely learn that what gets you to 50 million is not what's going to get you to 100 million. And those milestones are real and you have to continue to challenge yourself to think, you know, how do you think about your go-to-market? How does that go-to-market change? The right role for marketing to play and why it only works if you've got healthy cross-functional partnerships. I've always believed that marketing owns the voice of the customer and we need to understand our customers and their needs and their insights and their challenges better than anybody else in the company. But you still have to partner with every part of the company to help bring that outside in view to reality. And how in today's increasingly competitive environment, companies can break through the noise and reach their buyers. My belief is that the first one that can get to the buyer before they are in the buying process has the ability to influence. So you always wanna try and be educating and getting to the buyer and, and not waiting for them to do all of the research because you wanna help influence them and consult them. If you enjoy Alexandra's chat with Sydney, be sure to check out the growth series we hosted earlier this year on the podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Now, let's dive into the conversation. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Sydney, welcome to Inside Intercom. We're happy to have you on our podcast. You recently joined SalesLoft as their first CMO. Congratulations. Thank you. I would love to give our listeners a quick look into your career. Can you tell us your background and also what has led you to join SalesLoft? So my background, I've always been in marketing. And I now can say it's been over 25 years and embrace that <laughs> for a while. It's like, oh, my God, 20, 25 years. But but it's been a journey and so much has changed during that 25 years in the industry and how the role of marketing, which makes it always dynamic and exciting. But I started back in the days doing event marketing for a small technology company and, you know, doing their first customer conference, their first sales kickoff, trade shows. This was before CRM even existed. So you were capturing business cards and entering them into spreadsheets. But what I loved about it was the opportunity to talk to customers and work with salespeople day to day and really get an appreciation for how hard it is. So I think I've always been a, a sales-oriented and a customer-oriented marketer. And that's kind of progressed through my career. So in terms of the yeah. experiences that I've had, I, I really grew up at Adobe. 
as they were going into the enterprise business back in the early 2000s and spent about 15 years there in various divisions doing product marketing for the most part. And at the very end, started a function called customer marketing, which we were selling that concept to our customers. And when it was time to leave Adobe, I wanted to go do that. I wanted to be a practitioner of this idea that we were putting out there. So I built and ran customer marketing functions at some SaaS companies and finally got the opportunity to be a CMO at Alfresco and put all that experience under one umbrella. And it was fantastic. And now it's at Salesoft. Great. Which we'll talk about. Well, so tell me more about your experience at Alfresco because there you had a pretty incredible career and you took the company to 100 million in revenue. And that's a pretty major milestone for any business. Can you share with us what were some of your biggest challenges at the, that you tackled along the way and what are some of the lessons that you learned? Well, definitely learn that what gets you to 50 million is not what's going to get you to 100 million. And those milestones are real and you have to continue to challenge yourself to think, you know, how do you think about your go-to-market? How does that go-to-market change? And for us at Alfresco, that was really maturing from a developer-centric go-to-market to a top-down, a strategic go-to-market selling to see the C-level, um, the CIOs that were making major technology investments and shifts. And so we had to change the perception of our brand, and we had to change the story we were telling at the same time that the adoption of cloud was real and our market was shifting. So I think for us, the success that we had was we saw that coming and we were able to recast what our market category was. So we went from being enterprise content management, which was a five, six billion dollar industry to content services and the positioning of cloud as it as companies were transforming and got really that that's how we got known and into the leadership position for which we hadn't been before. So that was a challenge, and it was hard shift when you're doing it globally, where cloud adoption was different between Americas and EMEA, which were our two main markets, and kind of had to balance that along with the sales organization. So it sounds like it was actually two different challenges. You had to change your target audience to completely different audience, you were moving from developer to enterprises and also moving to a cloud. Yes. Can Their environment was changing. But we, that, was a, that was an opportunity yeah. um, that uh, came to us. So people weren't doing things the same way they had done before. And so we had an opportunity to recast what that was and tell that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, fascinating. I can sympathize with the experience of trying to move from different segments of market from serving smaller customers to serving larger customers. I've had to do it a couple of times in my career. And um, definitely it's an interesting opportunity and an interesting challenge for the company and for the employees as you bring them along. Now, what I think it's interesting about your experience that you focused on the customer experience throughout the process. And that is, I know, a big passion of yours. And at Alfresco, one of the things that's happened as you were making through this change, you got to a point where your customer renewal rate was over 90%. How did you do that? And what was the work that you did around customer experience that got you to this yeah. milestone? I've always believed that marketing owns the voice of the customer. And we need to understand our customers and their needs and their insights and their challenges better than anybody else in the company. But you still have to partner with every part of the company to help bring that outside in view to reality. And so 
I have a, I have a mantra that I've used for quite a few years. If people have heard me speak before, which is smart, happy customers buy more. And you change from emotion of selling when you're trying to capture prospects to emotion of teaching and inspiration to customers once they become customers. They don't want to be sold to anymore. They've already chosen your company, but how do you teach them how to use your product better, how to adopt new things that you might be bringing to market, how services can be consumed, how partners play a role in that. And if you do it from a point of education and teaching where you're trying to empower them to get the most out of the investment that they've made, I think that resonates better with customers. The other part is, you know, it's shocking a lot of times if you actually spend the time to be a customer and look what the experiences are. Are you making customers sign into multiple parts of your website that you need to get support versus something else? Uh, can they call one number and get the answer? Can they can they get the service that they want in the way that they want? And, and it's actually hard to design for that, especially as you get to larger and larger companies. And so always keeping that in mind and ensuring that you're asking customers, are they getting what they receive? Are you surveying them throughout the different journey points that they have and always striving to make that better? Yeah. I, I think a lot of what you said resonates with us as we think about our, our customers and how we think about helping our customers be successful. We place an incredible emphasis on helping our customers' customers communicate better with, with the business. So thinking about how can we help our businesses build stronger relationships with their buyers. We believe that is a way to drive growth and to drive growth for our business mm -hmm. by building stronger relationship with our customers. The buyer and customer experience, that is such a broad <laughs> term. And we in marketing focus on so much from customer acquisition to activation to retention. When you think about the pieces that you own and you drive in marketing, which of those parts do you feel marketing should own and drive? And where do you feel like you have the most opportunity to make the change? Yeah. So I, I kind of alluded to that before in terms of I think marketing should own, for the most part, all of the company should. But but we are the, the stewards of our brand. We are stewards of customer experience and bringing that to life. So I think we have to work alongside our counterparts to ensure that experience is seamless and consistent and look for those opportunities to, to gather the feedback and always improve, as I said. The first project that I actually took on at SalesLoft when I got there was to actually define the customer journey. And I've had the opportunity to work with Jean Bliss, who I think is the one of the people who who created that idea of customer experience in previous lives. And, and so I took that learning and, and brought that to SalesLoft and ran a couple of workshops. And what, what she taught me was to bring in the people that have those relationships with the customers, the, the frontline folks, and talk about each stage of the customer journey. And you write uh, inspirational quotes. What would you like the customer to say, to think at that stage that they're having interactions with you. And then you identify what are all the things they're trying to accomplish. So whatever your customer journey stages are, you name some, every company has them differently. You want to document what is it the customer is trying to accomplish? What's the ideal sentiment or action that they have? And then she identifies these things called moments of truth. And if you can figure out what that moment of truth is at each stage of the customer journey and over deliver, that's where you really can build out the relationship with the customer and differentiate yourselves. So we did that. 
we're actually still in the process of doing in that. We're at the step where we need to now validate that with the customer. Our, is our view of what the customer thinks is important is the same view as our customers. And a lot of times you'll see the divide there and can make course corrections. So I think through that, then you identify what are the programs that we can partner with other people inside the organization to put in place to continuously improve. So we're, we're in the midst of doing that as we speak. And I've done that previously as well. That's so great. I love this. I love this methodology. It's definitely worth, I think, something. Customer Bliss. Yeah. Jean Jean wrote the book. Okay. She just wrote another one, too. That sounds great. We have almost done something similar where we looked at customer buying journey. So it's if you looked experience after they become a customer, we even looked experience before they become a customer at a segment level and trying to map out what is the key stages in the buying journey and use that information to make sure that we provide the right messaging through the right channels to the right decision makers at the right point in the buying journey. And it's incredible um, the insights we get from talking to our customers and to prospects and understanding all the different parts of the buyer journey. And then when we communicate to customers with us, we're very fortunate to be able to use our product, so in-product messages, to understand what exactly customers are doing at every stage of the buying journey and of their product experience and engage with them at that stage with relevant information. But I'm going to look into that. Uh, I, I love the concept, and I think there's even more we can do. Yeah. We, use, the, we use Intercom, too, to do the same oh thing. Oh, my gosh. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So thank you for that. Yeah. Now, what about your partnership experience with sales? I'm sure sales and support are also some of the teams that are thinking about the same questions and also thinking about how does they create and need to collaborate with marketing to create those moments of delighting customers. Can you talk a little bit about how you work with the support and uh, sales teams at SalesLoft? Sure. SalesLoft has been different than any company I've ever worked at before, I have to say. And that's one of the things that drew me there. The commitment of the company to put customers first and um, one of our other cultural values is team over self. And we, we truly are an account-based strategy for the company. There is no marketing needs to deliver this and sales delivers that. It's who are our target accounts? How are we engaging them? What can marketing do? What can sales do? And it's a true outbound orientation. I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's, it, it is a true partnership. And our CRO and, and myself, Sean Murray, you know, we talk about the factors that categorize or quantify who our target accounts are. So marketing owns target accounts and selection of the list. And then we work with sales to prioritize those lists and define the segmentations that we want to go after and the, the methodologies for going after them. And then, of course, we tier the accounts and, you know, we put invest more resources in the top tiers than, than the at scale activities for the lower tier. And, and so that that partnership is in place. We also have a great partnership with the sales enablement team as they look to gather feedback, build messages, train, and then we use insights from our product as to what messages are resonating with the customers. So that's that's been quite different than previous experiences where it was a little bit more on the traditional side of marketing where are my leads? And then marketing would say, why don't you follow up on my lead sales? I've <laughs> definitely heard that story before. So it's it's a true partnership. On the support side at SalesLoft and at previous companies, so I like the direction it's going into. I've only been at SalesLoft for four months, so I'm still and 
and a lot of the leaders are relatively new. What I love on the support side that we're talking about right now is that we identify best practices and benchmarks. And there's two facets to that. One is that we have a roadmap and we have a structure that we can recommend to customers that they need to follow and we can help them evaluate where they are from where we see best practices can be. And so it's a great place to start where customers can see that, okay, this is these are all the things I need to do. I'm strong here, I'm weak here, and we can work together with them on getting them to the levels that they need to to succeed. Those kinds of benchmarks and frameworks, I think, are a great partnership between marketing and the customer success team to leverage in marketing and to help with the customer acquisition. You know, data and, and benchmarks is something that customers really like to see. Where do I fit in? And then they can use that to do the implementation. So I see that partnership very strong. The other part to the customer success organization at SalesLoft is that they're also our education team. And so going back to the smart, happy customers buy more and wanting to educate customers or non-customers, really. I mean, we want to be the company that sales leaders come to to get insights and advice on how to modernize their sales organization. So the more that we can partner with the education team on bringing those lessons to not only our customers, but non-customers, I think will help us grow our, our awareness and our reach of SalesLoft. I love it. Um, so many things that you said resonate with me. I'm like, I have a happy smile <laughs> on does. my She's face. She does. smiling. Yeah, <laughs> smiling. Um, and I think I've been at Intercom for six months, but one of the big reasons why I chose this job, because I was so impressed with our sales leader, LB, who is also our support leader. So support and sales both report to her, and she's a fantastic partner to marketing. And then that's part of the reason why I'm smiling. But the second part why I was smiling is because we also have a product education team, and uh, they actually report into marketing. And what I like about what's incredible to have this team is they truly think about how can we educate our customers and how can they take full advantage of the full breadth of our solution and think about those key moments of how we can communicate what we do, all the things that we've built on our platform, and then encourage them to maximize the values they derive from our product. So that's we're in and, violent agreement. <laughs> I, I know, and I, you know, prior to this, never had this kind of function in marketing. Feel very, yeah, very and I think it's very smart for Intercom to invest in this and build this team. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with Intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about 
all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So how do you measure performance? Like, what is the key metrics on your dashboard? You said that marketing is looking at the entire customer lifecycle. But what are the things that you track as a CMO? So on the, on the high level of the dashboard, there's a couple of things. So we track pipeline and impact to closed one. And I think that's so important for marketing to do to show the impact on the business. So we want to see how much pipeline are we jointly developing on our target accounts, how much influence on those target accounts is marketing deriving. And then um, we also look at inbound as a separate function, so non-target inbound. So we just are still tracking, even though it's not in our target account, how much are we still just naturally drawing in? And that's a separate segment, but we're not investing in that. That's just coming to us. So that's the top level. It could level. be coming from content or as a way. It could right? be coming from content, anybody but that's outside of our target account list. So that's um, non-target accounts. And just seeing how those trend over time, as well as looking at the closed ratios and the conversions between the different stages at a cohort level. So where can we look into our, our funnel and the performance of the funnel to continue to make improvements? The other thing that I always will have to look at is the opposite side of the coin. Am I investing wisely those dollars that the company is entrusting in marketing. So we look at our return on investment. And what I've learned over time is not to make it overly scientific. So generalized feedback is is sufficient in that we want to understand, you know, how much does it take to book a meeting? How much investment do we need on enterprise accounts large enterprises versus our commercial accounts that deliver a different return on our investment. So we'll look at the differences between that. I look at the differences between channels, which channels are performing. And I know they're going to be different, and that's okay. It's setting expectations of what the return should be through those different channels because we know that you're going to have to have a mix. So a field event might cost more, but I know that what the return on that is going to be. So look at channel mix and performance and then our overall return on spend where, you know, for every dollar, how much are we returning to the business? And then we looked at blended CAC. So sorry, the head of sales and I also keep our eye on on our CAC for sales and marketing combined. Yeah, I think it's very smart to look at blended CAC, right? Especially in the segment where you're going after the named account segments because it's really a combination of sales and marketing efforts getting you there. We share many of the same metrics. We also have one of the things that we try to do is to build alignment at the most senior level on the overarching metrics. So I always think that sales and marketing share the revenue number, and that means we may control different types of inputs that go into the number. So we may be driving some of the leads and conversion rates, but it's really sales that also helping with conversion rates, especially with larger customers in ARPA. So it's a combination of both mm. teams that is driving the output metric, but we share the same output metric. Yeah, one thing that I could just never get comfortable with is when the marketing team would be like, yay, look at all the MQLs we got, and the sales teams are struggling to make the number. And it just always felt wrong to me. And and. MQLs can be manipulated, you know, yes. so we can open them up and close close them down. But um, so I really do think it's more important to look at the pipeline and how you're contributing to pipeline and then figuring out together 
how to make sure that you're converting the, as much pipeline as possible. So doing mid-stage metrics and mid-funnel marketing activities to continue to improve across all the stages is important. And that's the other kind of key lesson. And if there's other marketers that are out there where they're still working with sales teams that say, oh, marketing, don't touch my deal now that I'm working it. It's wrong. There's so much that marketing do to continue to keep the accounts warm, to bring net new contacts into the equation. So hopefully sales teams are realizing that marketing can add value across all stages and beyond, and they're working closely together. So that should change if it hasn't already in whoever, whoever's listening in their world. <laughs> and, and on top of it, and I agree with that, but on top of it, there are in, and it depends to some degree on your business, but there's a segment of customers that may never be touched by sales, right? That's, um, it could be that the value of that segment on average is primarily marketing led and marketing is driving disproportionate share of both attracting that segment and closing that segment, or maybe sales is playing a sales assist role and figuring out what are those two segments and what is a go-to-market strategy across those two segments is very important. I think you have a named account segment that's very clear, but there could be other segments. And we seem, for our business, we definitely have a two-tier strategy and the metrics across those segments are very different. And marketing and sales, um, again, play different metrics, but we are aligning at the top. And in some cases, marketing may be the only channel or is the only team that actually touches some some leads, and that's okay. Yeah. we. I was at a conference yesterday in Houston, Houston Exponential. They're going to be so happy I called them out. And uh, Houston's trying to become the next Nashville, like uh, uh, thinking about how they can be developed. But our friends along with the Topo and, and Craig Rosenberg were there, and we were talking about how you can have a blended strategy. You can have a target account or ABM strategy, but if you've got, you know, commercial high volume business as well, that those two things can run independently. Now you need to make sure you've got your team segmented and sorted and giving them right resources for both. But that's absolutely possible. Yeah, but they have to be coordinated. They have to be coordinated. Yeah. So as go-to-market leaders, we talk a lot about how the buyer's journey has changed. What are some of the changes you have seen in both the buyer behavior and the seller behavior in the last 10 years? I would imagine like account-based marketing is actually one of them, right? That's one of the new concepts. But I don't know if you have seen other like kind of big shifts in buyer's journeys. In, In the buyer and seller behavior in the last 10 years, I think the biggest shift is the move to committee based buying especially in B2B, in the larger enterprise, the complexity of the sale, the number of people involved that you have to coordinate as part of the overall selling experience is very complex. And I I know those stats were out there for a long time of 60 or 70% of the research was already done by the the buyer before um, they engage with the sellers. And then serious decisions debunked that myth a couple of years ago, which I was pleased to see. And so my belief is that the first one that can get to the buyer before they are in the buying process has the ability to influence. So you always want to try and be educating and getting to the buyer and and not waiting for them to do all of the research because you want to help influence them and consult them. And then you start mixing that with, you know, 10, 15 people that might be involved in that particular buying process. That's 
the complexities that I think we face as B2B marketers today on enterprise? And then how do you orchestrate all those relationships, track all the engagement that's going on and give the different personas what they need depending on where they are on those stages? And that's complex. I mean, that's that's not easy to figure out. Um, so how do you, like, how do you actually break through the noise? Is there a, an example? Is there a campaign you're really proud of where you feel like you were able to do that? Uh, so I think understanding the different roles and the orchestration between the roles is step one. And then simply putting it into, do we have the content that's needed for those roles at, at that stage. I, I think one of the, the things that in my previous company we did that really helped was we understood who the primary, there were two primary personas that were coming to our website and wasn't the actual decision maker, but they were important and we were treating them as the same person and we were really pushing trial. And so we separated that out and we created a resource, what marketers would call resource, we called it the learn site. And started studying where people were going on the site and what information they were looking for. And we added to the site a, a feedback loop. And we said, are you getting what you're looking for? And we we asked that. We figured out who the roles were and started building content based on what people were looking for. If they didn't find it, they would let us know and we would add that. So we we created that open communication loop with, with folks. They were technical. We knew they didn't want to fill out a form to get content. So we had to open up. Um, our content and uh, allow for that them to to access that. But I think there's enough technology out there. You can track IP addresses and know that people from different accounts are on your site without asking people for their name and all their details before you give them the information they're actually looking for. So that addressed a couple of our buyers and the segmentation between the different roles. I think it's incredible that you had that insight that this looks like two People, they're very different people, but if if we didn't have the persona understanding the reasons and the emotion and, and not able to build the emotional connection and provide the right um, information around benefits of what we offer, we would treat them the same. And right. really, we need to treat them completely different. I think it's great. And I've seen some more sophisticated sites as we look for inspiration where you go and you say, uh, you know, for developers, and then it orients the content for you or for an enterprise architect or for a marketing operations person versus a, a sales operations person. They maybe need different things. So making sure that it's easily organized for people to find and figure out what, what it fits to what they're looking for. Yeah, I think it's it's great insight. And it's something that we at Intercom are also going through right now. We have recently gone through a redesign of our blog. And we're known for our content and great work that uh, the team has been doing around thought leadership and using our content to establish ourselves as thought leaders. But as we were going through a blog redesign, we had to reflect the next stage of our growth. And the fact that we are still trying to make sure that we speak and provide valuable insights to the founders. And a lot of times the founders are also driving product direction. But now recognizing that in larger companies, we're talking to heads of sales, head of marketing, head of support, and actually had to restructure our content to reflect those different types of personas who may be interacting with our blog and coming to our blog and completely redesign how we architect information and provide relevant information. It's quite a journey, and we'll be doing that on our website next. But yeah. uh, uh, We're in the same state. What, what got you here is not what's going to get you there, exactly, so you have exactly. to continuously uh, Continue reevaluate. To, exactly. yep. And understand your buyers mm-hmm. and really what, what yep. motivates them. So let's switch gears and talk about partners. 
Um, how important are partners to your acquisition strategy? To what extent do you rely on the partner ecosystem? I know you have your app directory, which is great, sales lab app directory. Is that helping drive growth for your business? Uh, I think partners are an absolute critical part of our equation. And two ways to answer this. One is personal. In when I was evaluating what company to, you know, I wanted to go to next, I actually talked to their partners. I wanted to know, are they a partner-friendly company? Because I truly believe that strong companies foster strong partnerships and that there's enough to go around. And what I loved was all the partners I talked to spoke so highly of SalesLoft and, and our orientation towards partners and how we work with them on solving customers' problems. Because if you're good at partnering and customers are coming to SalesLoft plus using our partners, it, it'll make us stickier. So if we can surface information, if we can connect with all the systems that they're putting in place or make recommendations of things they should put in place because we know they're going to get more value out of SalesLoft, that's a great strategy to be in. And, and where we're optimizing across the partner network how all of the pieces fit together. So having a strong API strategy and, and how we talk about that. So the app directory is has been great. And in terms of acquisition, I was just talking to our head of partners today and he's, he was very excited about how many incremental visits we were having to our partner site. So it is working and is continuing to grow as we continue to build out our ecosystem. Yeah. I love the, the answer. And in many ways, it resonates with us. I would say there is a benefit that we see of having an app ecosystem is that it increases extensibility of our offering and uh, makes us more relevant, a lot more use cases. I think that's a big part, not only in driving customer acquisition, but also helping our current customers engage with us at more deeper level, integrate us with the rest of the tech stack, take advantage of all the tools that are available in the app ecosystem, like SalesLoft, so that they can find more ways to use Intercom and we become more relevant for right. their business. Just seeing how APIs have evolved over the past few years and how companies are really working to make it easier for people to connect systems is important. And they'll get more use out of and more value out of the technology they're investing in. So I think that's that's critical. Also having a shared point of view with other technologies on what the best practice is and making those recommendations of, in our case, you know, this is how you create a cadence. You have 10 steps and it incorporates sending emails and making phone calls, but it also incorporates sending a physical mail piece through something like Sendoso. It also incorporates bringing in chat like through Intercom and how you how you can connect with all the different ways that a customer is going to engage with you. And I could go on. I mean, there's lots of partners that we have, so sorry I didn't shout them out, all of them. But, but I think making that easy, pulling in LinkedIn data so you can do your research and customize and personalize your communications where you're not asking the end user to go out to all these different systems and touch it together. You're not asking the technology teams to build the integrations. You just turn it on, you connect them, and it should work. Now, you get into bigger companies, it gets more complex. But for to get started, you shouldn't spend six, nine months building integrations and customizations if the partner ecosystem has been well-designed. Yeah, 
I, I agree. And then on top of it, if you have that confidence as your sister on partner ecosystem, you also have confidence in the APIs and the fact that you can build your own private app if you need to using right. the API platforms that the company has. So, um, again, it just broadens the use of the technology. That's so. the game changer in the technology world. If us marketers can talk about yeah, that in the last five APIs, years. Pretty crazy. Boy, don't we sound uh, smart. <laughs> So as we wrap up, what are some of the big things? What are some of the big trends that you see coming up, emerging in sales and marketing? And what's in the future for you? I think the the short-term trends are, you know, it still amazes me on how marketers can leverage data and A, how hard it is to get good data and to get your data clean. But once you have it, how you can use that to help with your account selection, your prioritization. I, I'm really researching right now the use of intent data and helping with prioritization and even looking into it, these, how we think about our territories and our models and, and the companies that we're going after. So that's kind of a, a short-term one. I think chat is definitely a current trend right now and in, in how people are rethinking chat. I remember when you know, back in the 90s and 2000s, chat meant one thing. It doesn't, it means something totally different now. It's bringing that that conversation forward um, and trying to engage people in conversation as, as soon as you possibly can. And I think that's important throughout the entire customer lifecycle. If they want to chat, you should be able to chat. If you want to call, you should be able to call and, and making sure that you have the right information available to the customer so their question can get answered right away with your, I love that you're called your new bot, answer bot. <laughs> so useful. So those those are two immediate trends. You know, what do I see going on in the in the future is really, you know, I, I want to say, and the reason that I got into this space is I'd love to see sales and marketing continue to get more aligned. I, I think ABM is just the start of that and where you really are bringing all your resources to bear on the customers that have, are your greatest opportunity. So being able to see that, bringing everybody together to try and give those customers the best possible service that they can wish for and while still remaining human. Um, I know everybody wants to say AI, and I think that will also change the game in terms of what can be learned. But at the end of the day, it's still people who are buying from people. And so figuring out how those blend in a meaningful way will be probably in the next two-year window, I would imagine. It is something that we believe is is a big opportunity to, and something we feel pretty strongly about, the movement to having both striving to be personal, yeah, uh, but also doing it at scale. And how does automation and bots and chatbots and automation technology fit into that? Yeah. And how can we leverage technology like automation tools and chatbots to help deliver that personal interaction that we are craving for as customers and we know our customers want from, from us. So it, that's where we believe is the next set of innovation yeah. is Our happening. tagline is science and sincerity at scale. So it's not our tagline, but it's one of the mantras we have, I guess, is probably it's the great. better word. So. Kind of uh, building on that, our mission is very similar in, in a way. It's, it's thinking about how can we make Internet business personal? And we believe that the communication tools will continue to evolve and we will be able to do that. And automation is going to be a big part of that, mm-hmm. but humans going to have to be part of that, too. So thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. This is great. I had such a good time. It went quickly. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.